So there were 17 running backs drafted in the 2020 NFL draft. And I want to break down the ones that are must owns, the one that you have to really look at in draft. And this doesn't mean you're drafting them in your first, second, third rounds of your fantasy football drafts. It means that you're drafting them at some point or in your final round or picking them up after the draft ends and dropping the kicker that for some reason you drafted in your draft in the first place. But I really need to kind of address something that is just going to drive me nuts up until the season starts. And that's the fact that people think that every single rookie running back is going to be some sort of value and should be drafted. And that's not the case at all. There were 17 running backs drafted. I will put them up on the screen right now. Look at these names and look at the rounds that they were selected in. Draft capital matters. Look back to last year. In 2019, loads of running backs are selected. In the third round alone, there was five running backs selected. The ones that actually mattered last year, Devin Singletary and David Montgomery. The ones that didn't get that much work, Well, Damian Harris with the Patriots got pretty much no work, was not even active for half of the games. You had Daryl Henderson Jr. seeing about 2% of the snaps last year for the Rams. And then Alexander Madison saw a good amount of work, but mainly as a backup in Minnesota. Then you drop down to the fourth round where it's Bryce Love, Justice Hill, Benny Snell, and Tony Pollard. Yes, Tony Pollard had a couple of really nice games and a couple of blowouts as well in the Miami game when he scores two touchdowns and 100 yards because Zeke is pulled in the third quarter. But you get the point here. These guys are not number one picks. These guys are nowhere even near your your top six, seven, eight, ten rounds of your your, your drafts. So don't be getting all hyped up before the season starts. Don't be getting all hyped up before the preseason. If there is one with the pandemic that's going on, you should be focusing a lot on the first three rounds of the NFL draft and where running backs are selected there, unless there's some sort of injury that tells you otherwise. And really you should be focusing on the first two rounds with heavy emphasis. Now there were 10 running backs selected in the first three rounds of the draft. And some of them are just going to unideal spots. I'm going to talk through a good chunk of running backs today, not all 10 of them, but we'll talk about the ones mainly in those first two rounds, which was about five or six guys drafted, and we'll talk through why they're the must-own ones, why they have really good opportunity. Do not fall for the people telling you that Anthony McFarland selected in the fourth round at pick 124 is going to have any type of draft capital to get ahead of Jalen Samuels, to get ahead of James Conner in that running back rotation right away. Wait, it's going to take a couple of injuries for him to see the field. Don't let somebody tell you that Eno Benjamin selected in the seventh round from Arizona at the 222nd pick is going to be worth a damn this season. That's just not the case. That's not how this works. So thank you for being here. My name is Sal Vetcher. We're going to get into your must-own rookie running backs for the 2020 fantasy football season. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell if you you do indeed enjoy my content and you want to get more of this content. It allows me to put this content out there, those subscriptions. So thank you so much. And I have a question of the day for you. I think it's an interesting one. Would you rather right now, not on your fantasy team, in real life on a team that you're managing, or maybe just your favorite team, would you rather rather have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the only first round pick in the 2020 NFL draft, that running back, or Aaron Jones, an expiring contract, but somebody who's probably not going to be worth all that much money in his second deal? Let me know down below in the comments. I'm looking forward to interacting. I think that's an interesting question. So number one on our must-own running backs of the fantasy football 2020 season, the only first round pick in the NFL draft, so it's hard not to give him the edge just based on draft capital, but also that landing spot and his skill set is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. In college, in his final year there, he had an 85 grade from PFF. He caught a record setting 55 passes after only catching 11 the year before. Shout out Joe Burrow, shout out Joe Brady. But he was the number one running back in wins above replacement, according to PFF. And that's a very strong stat. It just shows his efficiency and shows how much he actually meant to the team as a running back. So for the running backs don't matter crew, although I might be leaning with you on that one, at least for Clyde Edwards Hilaire and his team, he mattered at least the most relative to the other running backs. He broke 71 tackles. He was the number two overall grade 
underrated rusher, and his upsides are a ton. The pass catching role, his versatility, his shiftiness, his only downsides really are his pass protection, which might actually halt him and keep him off the field a little bit this season. Now, he has competition in his backfield, quote unquote competition. It's mainly in the form of Damian Williams, who's on his final year of a two year extension worth about $1.5 million. Now, Damian Williams was pretty much their Super Bowl MVP or should have been their Super Bowl MVP. He's somebody who has always produced when healthy for the Kansas City Chiefs, although he has missed 10 games since the 2017 season, so there is some injury risk there. But Damian Williams is a very good, or I would say around an average, he's ranked 30th out of around 100 running backs that were used last year in the NFL, ranked about 30th in pass protection. So that's a pretty good to average pass protector, which is a spot where Clyde Edwards Hilaire struggles. So that can actually cause some problems in the future for Hilaire's playing time. But in 11 games last year, Damian Williams was able to produce 111 carries, 498 yards and seven touchdowns. The thing that really stood out though, were his 30 receptions on 37 targets in just 11 games, and he produced another 230. 13 yards on those numbers. Kansas City's rush offense allowed for 3.5 rush attempts per game in the red zone to their running backs last year. That is elite numbers for a guy in Clad Edward Hilaire who saw a ton of red zone work at LSU. They're 27th in rush attempts per game with 23.5. So that's not a good number, but the numbers that you're really looking for from Clyde Edward Hilaire are a little bit of the rushing numbers or a little bit of being able to actually score touchdowns. R- running backs in Patrick Mahomes offenses since he's been in the league have scored touchdowns at a clip above 1.5 per game, above 1.5 per game. Now he actually has a first round caliber talent. His touchdown upside and his pass catching upside is just so high. Pass catching upside, 55 receptions last year. That's really, that's what he's known for. Kansas City running back saw 5.6 receptions per game on 6.6 targets per game last year. Those are elite numbers. If you just give him three receptions, four receptions per game, this guy's going to be catching somewhere around 60 balls as a low number if he stays healthy next year with the upside of catching 80 plus balls. And now we're not even talking about the touchdowns. We're not even talking about his rushing stats numbers on the grounds, that red zone usage. And he's already up there as a running back that you want to own. He's just a tier above the rest of these guys. Their offensive line ranked 13th overall last year in run blocking. They had a lot of replacements. They had early injuries and their replacements were very bad. They were not good at all. So the only first round running back with not a ton of competition, he's probably going to be making more money than his competition in his backfield by the time the season starts. Yes, he is going to be at least in dynasty drafts by 1.01 by the time that I'm recording this. And then in season long redrafts, I do think that he's going to have to be taken at least somewhere starting around that fourth round, fifth round of your drafts. You know, Cam Akers just cannot catch a break. In college, he was a very good running back but he was running behind the fourth worst offensive line in the power five in college football. That is ridiculous for a Florida state unit that should be drafting and really recruiting any type of decent offensive line play. So where does Cam Akers go? Well, he goes to a place to fill the void of Todd Gurley, where they had one of the worst, overall the second worst offensive line last year. This guy cannot catch a break. And even worse, the Rams did nothing to improve that offensive line in the draft. Nothing at all. So even with that bad offensive line play at Florida State, where he spent three years, and last year mainly, he goes for over 1,100 yards, and he catches 30 balls on 38 targets. So his upsides are that he can pass protect. He's a very good pass protector, so maybe that alone can share up the protection for Jared Goff, who looked like a donkey under any type of pressure last year. He can pass protect, he can pass catch, and he's a physical runner who breaks tackles. He has a career 4.9 yards per carry on the ground, and a 79 9% catch rate for 86 receptions during his college career. He's a standout pass protector, only 15 pressures on 324 pass blocking opportunities. I really do like Cam Akers. I think his talent is fantastic. This offensive line is going to be the major concern for you. This backfield is filled with a bunch of guys who he can probably easily take over for. Malcolm Brown is a free agent next year and he's only due $1 million in 2019. So there's really no incentive to keep him on the field and he's been a terrible producer anyways. Daryl Henderson Jr. was picked in 2019 in the third round 
around last year. He only had 22% of his money guaranteed in his contract. He has three years left on his four-year, $4 million contract. So the incentives in this backfield, it's not like there's a guy making four, five, six million dollars that Cam Akers is definitely going to be behind. Cam Akers is likely going to be the highest paid running back in this backfield or very close to it. So his incentives and his play and his skill set likely puts him right up there at the top of the pecking order in this LA Rams backfield that is very good for zone rushing attempts, especially in the red zone. In 2019, red zone running backs for the Rams saw 4.25 attempts per game. 75% of those did go to Todd Gurley, who's no longer there. Gurley did lead the way for this team with 76% of the snaps. Malcolm Brown was second with 23% of the snaps. That left about 2% of the snaps for third round pick Daryl Henderson Jr., who now is probably not going to have that opportunity to take on a bunch of those 76% of Gurley's remaining snaps. They were 13th overall in run offense, according to PFF. Their offensive line, 26th in run blocking and 31st overall. That's second worst in the league. They had a couple of transactions, losing some guys. They had to retirement to just trades. And then they also had injuries at the start of the season. 2.3 receptions per game on 3.4 targets per game was the average last year. It was likely because Gurley, you know, it skewed it a little bit, his injury, they weren't passing as much to him. He wasn't as as dynamic in that area. But that number is surely going to be able to go up now when you bring in a guy like Cam Akers who can actually catch, or at least the confidence in passing to your running back should go up. So I do think Cam Akers has a ton of upside in this offense. I think that there's no reason why he can't overtake a, a, a clear backup role and then obviously rival Daryl Henderson Jr. likely for the starting role. Just draft capital wise, it obviously seems a second round pick in Cam Akers compared to a third round pick in Daryl Henderson that you're going to see Cam Akers rival for the starting job in this offense. How much of the workload does he get though is the real question, but I do think the situation, if they can get anything going on the offensive line, becomes a lot better for Cam Akers. But right now, that offensive line does scare me. Man, that man Marlon Mack cannot catch a break. He's worked his butt off and then he always gets injured. He works his butt off. He goes for a thousand yards in like 14 games he gets injured and then they draft his replacement possibly. So right now you have Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, who is deemed by many to be the overall best running back. And if this was five to six years ago, he might've been like a top 10 pick, but based on the way that the running back position has been phased out of many GMs priorities, because you can get an undrafted guy to do just as much production in the right scheme, you get Jonathan Taylor dropping to the second round and overall dropping a little bit down past some other guys. So he was out of Wisconsin. He was the guy that you really wanted to look at. He had an overall 91 PFF grade in 2019, rushing for 2,000 yards on 320 carries, 925 career carries. So he's very much in the prime of running back's career, maybe even has had too much workload. But what are the concerns with that? Well, one, the workload overall, he had 55 touchdowns, which was nice, a 10.3 target share, which was nice, but that 10.3% target share is skewed because Wisconsin didn't throw a lot at all. He only saw 42 receptions, 14 per year in his three years in Wisconsin. So the guy's barely catching a ball per game. He had a lot of drops problems as well, dropped eight of his 65 deemable targets. But his upsides are that he's been running in his own scheme since college, and he has 900 plus carries in that type of a scheme. He has the ability to break tackles. He has the ability to get yards after contact, all of these things he was top three in during the college football season. He's a very good, pure running back that just has problems, one, holding on to the ball in terms of fumbles, and then two, actually catching the ball and being involved in the pass. Game. And now he finds himself in a Colts offense that does suit his, his skill set very well. But what do you have in the backfield here? Well, you have Marlon Mack, you have Naeem Hines, and you have Jordan Wilkins. Wilkins is probably now a cut candidate, but Marlon Mack is a free agent next year, just due $2.1 million this year. So that's right around what Jonathan Taylor is going to be making. Naeem Hines has two years left on a four-year $3.8 million contract. 750k is due this year. Now here's your issues. Naeem Hines is still the best pass catching running back in this backfield, and Phillips Rivers loves checking it down to running backs. So that's one knock against Jonathan Taylor. Number two, Marlon 
Marlon Mack, although he's often injured, only played 14 games last year and was able to get to a thousand plus rushing yards. So it's not like they're just going to make Marlon Mack only play 20% of the snaps now. No, I think there's a really good chance that Marlon Mack is still a starter. Naeem Himes is still a change of pace back. And then you're going to get Jonathan Taylor trying to work his way into this offense throughout the season. Likely the biggest leap would come from a Marlon Mack injury. In these rush offense last year and their offensive line, it was fantastic. They had the number two run blocking unit in the entire league and the number 10 graded rush offense. Quentin Nelson is elite. Back to back years now that he's led all guards in run blocking. He is fantastic. He all five linemen for the Colts last year played a thousand plus snaps in this offense. That continuity cannot be beat. Colts running back saw 3.63 red zone rushing attempts per game. Those are very good numbers and a lot of opportunity that can be there for Jonathan Taylor potentially. 4.4 receptions on 5.6 targets per game as well. So there's opportunity there as well, but a lot of that did go to Naeem Himes. Marlon Mack to start the year was running routes, but for the most part, Naeem Himes went back into his pass catching role. They were number five in rush attempts per game at 29.4. Lots of opportunity there. And again, Marlon Mack rushed for over a thousand yards just in 14 games on 17.6 carries per game. He did this on just 55% of the snaps as well behind that elite number two graded run blocking unit. So Jonathan Taylor's outlook is very good for dynasty formats. Marlon Mack is a free agent next year. They don't have to resign him now that they spent second round capital on Jonathan Taylor. But for this specific year, there's no way Marlon Mack outside of an injury or something happening to him outside of the uh, off the football field is going to really be skewed out of a starting spot or at least a 45 to 55 percent of the snap spot. Uh, Name Himes is going to be there for 15 to 25 percent of the snaps. So I do think Jonathan Taylor can probably carve out this 20 percent, 15, 20 percent of the snaps type of a role, but it's not going to be increased unless he just plays his way onto the field more. Or number two, he takes the role of Marlon Mack one this year based on injury and two moving forward since Mack's a free agent after this year. Man, oh man, is Matt Patricia a donkey or what? If there's any Lions fans out there and you have not already commented the daily challenge, which you should, Aaron Rodgers or Clyde Edwards Hilaire, let me know in the comments below. If there's any Lions fans out there, I do feel bad for you. I'm a Packers fan, so officially my coaching staff is now uh, full of donkeys with their draft that they had, but Matt Patricia is just a complete donkey. But he does draft DeAndre Swift, who does look like a good talent, although he has on Johnson, which is very interesting. Out of Georgia, DeAndre Swift had a very good career there. Was never the workhorse back, but was never asked to be the workhorse back. In 14 games last year, he went for over 1,200 yards on around 200 carries, and he had 24 receptions, which is the big thing, for 216 yards. He had a lot of red zone usage. 35 carries actually resulted in 11 touchdowns, so he was a very good red zone back for them. He averaged 6.6 yards per carry in his career, only lost four fumbles on 513 total touches, had 70 recep- 73 receptions in three years at Georgia, 10.1% target share. So the upside is that he's probably the best pass catching running back in this entire class. He had three straight PFF grades of 80 plus while he was at Georgia. He had that Georgia running back legacy. 31% of his attempts in college went for a first down or a touchdown. That's elite numbers. The downside is that the guy was just never asked to carry the load. So it's still yet to be seen if he can be that guy, but I'm not even sure he's going to be that guy anytime soon in this Detroit Lions offense. So he goes into a Lions backfield that already has on Johnson, that has Bo Scarborough, that has Jason Huntley, who was also picked this past year in the draft. So there's really not a ton of competition outside of on Johnson. on Johnson still has two years left on his four-year $6.5 million deal. So unless they plan on just cutting him and giving up a guarantee, a bunch of guaranteed money to carry on and taking a cap hit, I don't think on Johnson is going anywhere in this offense, at least for the next one to two years. So that's a little bit of a hit on Swift, who's probably going to be this change of pace back, but there could be a committee there. Like I don't think Bo Scarborough, I don't think Jason Huntley is going to take on a big workload. So you could easily see on Johnson playing 50% of the snaps and DeAndre Swift playing 50% of the snaps. I don't know if it starts out 
not that way to start the year, but Swift is a much better pass catcher than carry on. It's just a matter of will Matt Patricia actually throw it to his running backs, which he has never done. He tried to get it a little bit started with carry on. And then he said, Ooh, this is working too well. I got to get away from this. In 2019, their running backs in Detroit saw 2.8 rush attempts per game in the red zone. The offense in general just scored a lot from outside of the red zone. They had a pretty solid offensive line, ranked 11th overall. They had two top 10 graded players at their positions. They were ninth in run blocking, and then they drafted a third and fourth round guard from this past year. So outside of a lot of injuries, which you can never predict for offensive lines, this one looks to be pretty good coming back with some continuity. They were 24th ranked run offense though last year from PFF, so not great. 103.1 yards per game. They were 16th in attempts per game at 25.5, so right around right exactly average. And carry on was their leading rusher on 56% of the snaps. He averaged 14.1 carries per game, which was 39th in the league, and 10.6 fantasy points per game, which was 33rd in the league. Not so great. Here's a pretty good one though. 6.25 targets per game for five receptions per game to their running backs. Those five receptions and targets were mainly made up of J.D. McKissick and Ty Johnson. DeAndre Swift is going to be able to produce a lot more than J.D. McKissick and Ty Johnson. So seeing 6.3 targets per game to these running backs, it makes me just my eyes light up for DeAndre Swift because if he can even accumulate just two thirds of that production, see around four targets per game catch on average three to four balls per game, he's going to start to look very viable in PPR formats, especially if he can stay in the field for 50% of the snaps or so. But to start the year out, there's no way that I can say a guy with two years left on his deal and carry on Johnson is just going to be completely off the radar. I do think he's going to be there for his 56% of the snaps last year, right around there to at least start the season with Swift being the change of pace back, being that Ty Johnson, JD McKissick last year, which does have its upsides when you factor in the amount of usage in the passing games Detroit back saw last season. So the upside for Swift is there and it gets even higher. Carry on has also worked through some injuries over the past year or year and a half. I do like the upside in DeAndre Swift, but he's nowhere near a top end running back pick that you should be taking. He's nowhere near an RB1, an RB2, an RB3 in your fantasy drafts. You can start to take a flyer for him around that RB4, RB5 territory. I just want to stop him quick to let you know about Monkey Knife Fight. If you don't already know about Monkey Knife Fight, they're on the screen. If you use the promo code VETRI, it's a player prop format. You can play any of the sports you like over there. If you put $10 your first time entering their minimum deposit, they will give you a $15 match. And then I will also give you some free entry into my fantasy courses. So be sure to check them out. No matter the sport you want to play, it's a ton of fun. They have very beatable lines over there at Monkey Knife Fight from at least my projections. So be sure to check them out. Now let's get back into this video. Man, there probably could not be a better landing spot long-term for J.K. Dobbins than in this Baltimore Ravens Lamar Jackson offense. Now you're not going to get to see that upside this year because of who they have in their backfield and we'll get to that, but long-term approach is going to look great. So the three-year, the redshirt freshman, three years played at Ohio State, J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State, 21 years old. He's going to be looking fantastic as a second round pick for the Baltimore Ravens, who had a fantastic draft. In 2019, he had over 300 carries, over 2,000 yards, and 21 touchdowns on the ground. He ended up catching 23 of 28 targets as well, so he has that pass-catching skill set. 300-plus carries out of this guy. He's had a ton of carries in college, 726 carries overall. He was number one in runs above 15 or more yards last year. He was top 10 in college football with 73 missed tackles last year, and top five in yards after contact. The guy can just break tackles, he can dance, and he can get those big plays. He has a ton of Saquon Barkley-esque skills in him. All three years in college, he saw 20 plus receptions. Now the backfield that he's going to be working with here is going to likely be Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and then Gus Edwards in that order. Justice Hill was a fourth round pick last year. And just again, like we said at the top of the show, these fourth round picks, they don't work out that often. And he's probably not going to be used at all in this offense. He's likely a cut candidate. So Ingram is now 30 years old. He's getting up there in age. He has two years left on his contract and then he's out after that. But he does have an out after the 2021 season. So he might only have one year left on his contract. He is due a lot of money though. He's due $9 million over the next two years. So he's likely going to be there for this year. And then depending on what they do next year for his contract situation, then he's going to clearly either be back in 2021 or he's going to likely be gone by then. Gus Edwards is due only $750,000 this year. None of it is guaranteed. And then he's also a free agent. So the outlook for J. 
J.K. Dobbins cannot be better from a dynasty perspective. Literally by next year, there's likely going to be no Gus Edwards, or at least not the primary focus. And then there's a good chance that there's no Mark Ingram, or at least not the primary focus with second round pick in that draft capital J.K. Dobbins coming through the door. In 2019, these running backs in Baltimore saw 4.4 red zone rushing attempts per game. Baltimore ran the most times in the league at 37.2 times per game. Their lead back, Mark Ingram only saw 49% of the team's snaps and 13.4 carries per game, but he was still able to rush for over a thousand yards and 15 total touches on less than 15% of the snaps on only 13.4 rush attempts per game. He was number 10 in running backs fantasy points per game. That was on a very limited role. Now that might actually be too little and regression is coming his way, or it might just be the factor that this offense runs so much and has so much red zone usage. And Lamar Jackson is somebody that defensive backs have to keep an eye on that the upside is there for these running backs, even on less than 50% of the snaps. They're offensive line was a number three run blocking unit last year. They were absolutely elite. Ronnie Stanley is an absolutely elite offensive tackle. Only six pressures allowed on Lamar Jackson in the passing game last year. The touchdown upside, the red zone work is clearly there. Gus Edwards last year was the running back too. He saw 34% of the snaps, 8.3 carries per game, and 24 overall red zone carries. That ended up resulting in 133 carries for 700 yards and two touchdowns, just eight targets. So J.K. Dobbins can easily take on that role, can easily start to see right around one to two red zone rushing attempts per game in this offense, right around six to 10 carries in this offense. And he probably can catch more and see more than eight targets and two receptions that Gus Edwards saw. So the upside in year one for J.K. Dobbins is likely going to be behind the 30-year-old Mark Ingram, at least to start the season, but he should slot right into the number two running back role in front of Gus Edwards. And if that's the case, the upside is there for Mark Ingram, who has been battling injury, who is an aging running back. But the real upside in this offense is in dynasty formats moving forward with J.K. Dobbins. Next year can easily and probably should be the RB1 in Baltimore. And that is really hard to ignore. So in dynasty formats, be sure to be getting yourself some J.K. Dobbins. Our sixth must-own and our final must-own running back for the NFL 2020 fantasy football season is Keyshawn Vaughn. Now, when I say must-own, this does not mean draft him in your fifth or seventh round. Go get this guy in your last round of your drafts if he's still on the board. Out of Vanderbilt, he played four years there. He's 23 years old. And in 2019, he had 200 carries for a thousand yards and nine touchdowns. He also caught 28 balls on 38 targets, 10% of his team's market share. Now he suffered in college due to a really, really bad offense. He transferred from Illinois to Vanderbilt for two years at Vandy, two years at Illinois, bad offenses, bad offensive lines while he was there in both spots. The pros are that he's been a good pass protector. He's been in these good offensive NFL type pro schemes with the zone reads. And he's a one cut runner, which just means he can put in his foot in the ground, take the cut and then go. Now his upside is that he's going to Tampa Bay where there's not a ton of competition in that backfield right now it does have Ronald Jones and Dar Ogunbowale. Ronald Jones is a below average pass catching back and a bad pass protector. Keyshawn Vaughn above average pass catching back and an average to good pass protector. You have Ronald Jones under contract until the end of 2021 but he's only due 2.6 million dollars over the final two years of his deal so there's not a ton of incentives to keep him on the field. So Keyshawn Vaughn coming in now as a third round pick not as much draft capital to push his way right into a starting job but enough there and enough skill sets, at least that seems on paper, to compete for a starting job in this Tom Brady checkdown based offense. Tom Brady last year attempted 61.4% of his passes, 10 yards or less in that New England offense. 14.2% of them were at zero yards or behind the line of scrimmage. Think about that. 14.2% of Tom Brady's attempts were at zero yards or behind the line of scrimmage. Two thirds of them, more than two thirds of them right around there was at 10 yards or less. So there's going to be a lot of attempts for any running back who can make their way in the pass catching game. In 2019, the Tampa Bay running back saw 2.9 red zone rushing attempts per game. But the nice thing was 5.3 receptions on 6.6 targets per game. They threw the ball a ton. It's a different offense now, but Bruce Arians was willing to throw it to the running backs. And you know, for 
for sure Tom Brady will want to. It was a top 10 offensive line unit last year. Their interior offensive line was their really strong point. Running between the tackles was where these running backs saw a lot of success. And they added first round pick Tristan Worfs, who many projected to go top five to the Giants in this year's draft out of Iowa to this offensive line to protect Brady and help the running game. Although they had a top 10 line, they were bottom 10 in running attempts and rushing yards per game at 95.1. They had the 23rd worst ranked rushing offense according to PFF and a big reason why was they just threw the ball a ton they were trailing James threw for over 5,000 yards so it makes sense now Ronald Jones was a lead back last year and he played 37.5 percent of the snaps he averaged 10.8 carries per game and the 14th most runs per game was from this team with 25.6 you still had Peyton Barber there last year he's no longer there but the issue was that none of these running backs were really seeing 40 percent of the snaps per game and if they were it was for a one week sort of deal so I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn's going to come in and just all of a sudden start playing right out of the gate 60 to 70 percent of the snaps they very much were fine just rotating through a couple of backs last year. But there is no reason why Keyshawn Vaughn as a third round pick and somebody that you can probably pick up as a free agent or late in your drafts if you have deep benches will not see somewhere around 30 to 40% of the snaps come a few weeks into the season. And he has the skill set that fits this offense nicely. You add in that he was a third round pick, not the greatest draft capital, but definitely not the fifth and sixth round late picks that a guy like Doriel Gombawale was. I think it adds even more upside for Keyshawn Vaughn to get onto the field. So we get one honorable mention in the running back department. And that is, you can see the player profile crying Michael Jordan face on Zach. Moss. He was a third rounder to the Buffalo Bills, where Devin Singletary also was a third round pick last year. I don't really like uh, Zach Moss all that much in terms of his role right away, because Devin Singletary likely is going to play somewhere around 50 to 60 plus percent of the snaps in this offense, but there's no more Frank Gore in Buffalo. And Frank Gore was seeing around 37% of the red zone carries last year, and now you have Zach Moss, a nice bigger body back, 5'9", 223 pounds, that potentially can start to steal work from Devin Singletary around the red zone. You already have Josh Allen having 30% of the red zone rushing attempts last year, and 100% success rate on rush attempts inside the five yard line for Josh Allen last season. And now you're adding in a potential red zone back who can also take carries away within the twenties from Devin Singletary. That does concern me. But it doesn't concern me enough to make Zach Moss the starting running back in Buffalo. I do think that there's a chance he sees 30 percent of the snaps in a lot of the red zone usage and maybe even more carries than Devin Singletary once the year is all said and done in the red zone. He was a third round pick, so the draft capital is the same as Singletary's. Singletary proved himself as being dynamic last year, although he's not that active in the passing game, where Zach Moss did catch 28 of his 29 targets last season. And in his two healthy seasons out of Utah, he did see 28 plus receptions. So Zach Moss can take over some work in the passing game and he can definitely take over work around the red zone, but it's not a stable role. So it's not going to be one of our must draft guys, just an honorable mention and somebody to keep an eye on moving forward. So let me know who would you rather own and be sure if you're still watching this right now, hit the subscribe button. It helps me out a ton. Hit that notification bell. It's very important and allows me to continue to make this content and spend time making this content for you so that there is a reason to produce it. So thank you so much for tuning into this video. I greatly do appreciate it. These are our must own rookie running backs for the 2020 fantasy football season. I hope that you found this information useful. And if you did, do not forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. My name is Sal. I will see you all in the next one.